Hey, this is Lee Snow. I'm the preacher of Orange Springs Road Church of Christ, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for downloading today. I hope it inspires you. I hope it builds your faith. I hope it gives you a perspective to see what God wants to do in your life. And I hope it challenges you to a faithful tomorrow. All right, good morning. You can go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 15 if you want to. Luke chapter 15, that'll be our first major stop. But before we get there, I'll tell you a story. And uh, at the end of the Civil War at Appomattox Courthouse, you've probably heard of that place, right? In the Civil War, Appomattox Courthouse, General Grant allowed General Lee to do something that was kind of uncommon. He allowed General Lee to ride to Appomattox Courthouse on his own horse, and all the soldiers that came with him after the surrender um, of the Confederate States of America to the, to the Union, he allowed all the soldiers that had come with Lee to keep all of their possessions, their firearms, their horses, everything that they brought with them. Usually, they were brought to uh, the surrender in handcuffs, as it were. And any soldiers that came with them, they were, you know, taken as prisoners and so forth at surrender. But General Grant didn't do that. After the war, General Lee became the president of Washington College in Virginia. And a few years after the war, a pretty good while after the war as far as I can tell, uh, a man came up to General Lee and was talking bad about General Grant. And I, I guess what, had, what happened was this man didn't really like General Grant, and he thought if there's one person on earth that doesn't like General Grant, it's General Lee who lost to him. So, um, so he comes up and he's, he's talking bad about General Grant. And, and uh, General Lee said this, Sir, if you continue to talk disrespectfully about General Grant... Either you or I are going to sever our relationship with this university. And it's generally understood that what General Lee meant was not that they would just sever ties with the university, but that they would sever ties with life. He was not going to take someone coming and talking bad about General Grant. Even after all of the hardships that they had faced in their relationship, if you want to call it a relationship. They didn't really see eye to eye, let's put it that way, right? And yet, he wasn't willing to allow someone to speak disrespectfully of General Grant. Fast forward a couple hundred years, there's two guys that are at odds with one another, but the setting is really different, okay? You have, in in the case of General Grant and General Lee, you have two men who have fought against each other, differing ideologies, differing ideas about how the country should be ran and what should be happening in the country and so forth. And I guess, let's see, let's do the math. It was probably, uh, it was probably about 100 years later, maybe not. These two men were at odds with one another, but their setting's different. See, their setting is they're both members of the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. They're also very well-known men in the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. In fact, you may not have ever heard their names before, but um, 
They have, these two men have, or has, these two men have, yeah, there we go. These two men have changed the way that the New Testament church exists in America. They're, they're what you call restoration preachers. One of them's born in the 1800s, the other one was born just after the turn of the century in the 1900s. But these guys, even though the restoration movement had happened a few hundred years before them, they're really, they're the ones that, that solidified many things in the New Testament church that we find today. Not doctrine, mind you, but just personalities. They're the ones that, when you think of preachers in the churches of Christ, we all look to these two men to learn how to do it. Okay? They're these guys. You don't know who they are on the right and the left. You, you may know who they are. This is Guy N. Woods on the right and Gus Nichols on the left. And that's another one of their friends in the middle. But we're just talking about Guy N. Woods and Brother Nichols. These two men differed on something that you and I would say is probably fundamental to the New Testament. You see, Brother Nichols on the left believed that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and I. That if you're a Christian, in Acts chapter 2, he's a very literalist kind of person. In Acts chapter 2, when it says you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Brother Nichols believed that means you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Brother Woods, on the other hand, on the right, differed. He believed that the Bible is the way that the Holy Spirit indwells us. Now, you can see, if you, if you don't even know the history of that debate in the church of Jesus Christ, you can see how that can become very problematic, right? These men, in fact, I tried to find a video. I was, even, I was going to do something strange. I was going to show a video during my sermon this morning of the debates that they had. The problem is, Brother Nichols died in 1975. Questions seem to have been recorded on video. But there's one instance at a university that is uh, associated with the church that had an open forum where these two men stood on the, on the podium for hours debating back and forth this topic. This topic is one that has split churches. It has made Christians disfellowship one another. Even though it, it hasn't seen the bloodshed of the Civil War, the, the topic of the Holy Spirit, whether or not it indwells you, was, in a sense, the Civil War of the church in the 1900s. You want to know something else about these two men? They were best friends. They differed so much on something that has realistically, has sadly torn the church apart in some instances, and yet they're best friends. Because they had a respect for one another that really is second to none. These men loved one another. These men saw things differently, but they still agreed that they were brethren. They still agreed that they would worship together and so forth. And then you fast forward to today, about 35 to 40 years after Brother Nichols passed away, and you can't disagree with anyone today, right? I mean, have you all disagreed with someone on a religious topic lately? Have you, have you seen what happens? I mean, you can't even disagree with someone on a political topic, much less a scriptural topic, Right? We have forgotten how to disagree with people because we just don't respect people anymore. I was listening to a podcast this past week, and it was about someone who has been ostracized by society 
Um, because the, the guy is, I mean, I'm not going to tell you who it is, but because you may, you may disagree with me. Man's clinically insane, if you ask me. I'm not a psychologist, but I read a book once, okay? And someone said, what's the path to redemption? This man has said some really insane things. What's the path to redemption? And the guy he was talking to said, that, well, there isn't one. You just, you just, we don't respect people anymore. You can't disagree. You can't, you can't see the things differently. It's just flat out. Now, is there, is there a truth in the Bible that says when, when you disagree about something that there may be a need to break ties with someone? Absolutely. Right? Over and over again in the New Testament, you have passages like, if a person does not walk according to the tradition that you have heard, have nothing to do with them. Don't eat with them. Don't talk to them. Don't spend time with them. Don't be friends with them. You walk up, you shake their hand, and you say, when are you going to come back? Yeah, it's called disfellowship or withdrawal of fellowship. It's very real in the New Testament. But the fact is that there are things that don't reach that level. And it's important for Christians to remember just who we are and why we're here because there are going to be times when you disagree with people. It's just going to happen. It may be about a doctrinal thing. It may be about a political thing. It may be about a family issue or something else. You're going to disagree with people. The problem is... You have to have respect if you're going to disagree with people. Because if not, all you do is you start thinking, if, they're, if they disagree with me, then they're against me. They hate me, and I hate them. And we just can't ever get along. We can't be in the same building together. These two men disagreed on something that I would say is fundamental to the truth. And I wholeheartedly disagree with Brother Nichols on the left. And that's the same words that Brother Woods used in debates where he said, I wholeheartedly disagree. Brother Nichols has misunderstood this basic tenet of the New Testament. But that's okay. As long as we still understand the fundamental truths of the New Testament, the fundamental unity of the church, the fundamental singularity of of the church, and so forth. We can talk about that sort of stuff later on. But what I wanted to do today was just look at some different concepts when it comes to, to unity and when it comes to respecting others, because I think that's something that we, we really don't have a grasp on in our society. Now, that's not, that doesn't mean that we don't have a grasp on it here, but sometimes it's good to, to remember some things, right? There was once a man... Um, who had a sheepdog, and a man rode by and saw the sheepdog working and got out and watched. And sheepdog was amazing. The man would just whistle. Just <whistles> dog would do something. Whistle a different way. Dog would do something else. And he walked up to the man after the dog had corralled the sheep into the, the cage, the pen, and uh, he said... This, this dog's amazing. What, what do you call him? I'm a newspaper writer. I'd like to write an article about this dog, just how amazing he is. And he said, the, the old man said, um, uh, what do you, 
what do you call that thing that's it's long and it's got green and it's red at the end, it's got thorns on it? And the, the writer said, you mean a rose? And he said, yeah, that's it. The guy said, so the dog's name is Rose? And he said, no, um, hey, Rose, honey, what do we call this dog again? It's, sometimes we forget things, right? So, let's look at what the New Testament says about respecting one another. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after one that is lost? Now, I just want you to focus in on that one phrase right there. You leave the ninety-nine where you don't put them up, you don't call your dog to, to corral the sheep, you leave them in the open country, out in the middle of nowhere. You leave them in the open country, go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays, on, lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or, what woman, having ten uh, silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, why did Jesus tell those parables? Why does he tell the next parable here in just a minute of the parable of the prodigal son? We're not going to read that one. But why does he tell these three parables in Luke 15? Because of the phrase that said in chapter 15, verse 1. All these sinners, these publicans, these tax collectors are coming to learn about Jesus and hear from Him and learn from Him and so forth. And so they gather up and then the scribes and the Pharisees get together and they just start berating Him. I can't believe that they accept this man. I can't believe that they want to to be around this man. I can't believe that He's accepting them and He wants to be around them. They had forgotten how to respect people. And they stopped respecting tax collectors and sinners. And they stopped seeing their worth. Now, I've told you all the story before that makes my blood boil. There's very few things that really... Like, I... I, Okay, I'll be honest with you. I have a temper. I don't know if you've noticed that this morning. Two of y'all saw it in the nursery when my son was screaming bloody murder. And I went to go pour him some Cheerios to calm him down. And then I dropped the thing of Cheerios and spilled the Cheerios all over the plate. And it was all I could do not to just throw the entire box of Cheerios in the trash right then. But there are very few things that actually make me angry. One time I was at a church and a person walked in to services. A man came over to me, a brother, and said, why, why is blank here? And I said, well, blank is here to worship. You know, sometimes I get a little sarcastic. I knew where he was going with it. And so I got a little sarcastic and said, blank is here to worship. And he said, we don't invite people like that to church. And I said, well, we may not, but I do. 
You see, it's very possible that we can stop seeing people the same way God sees them. It's very possible. That's why we can't disagree with people these days. Because we think that everyone who disagrees with us is just the dumbest person that has ever lived. If they're not a member of the church, it's because they love Satan and they hate Jesus. And that's not true. It's not true. It's just simply not true. The first thing we have to do in order to respect people is understand how God sees them. The fact is that God sees people the same way that we should in that when they're lost, He is willing to do whatever it takes, even if it means dying on a cross, to come and to find them. And so when we're looking at other people, we have to stop seeing them as different people. We have to stop seeing them as, as people that we may not agree with. This past week, um, we, uh, we had an interesting thing in Columbus. I don't know if you knew this, but if you've gone downtown, there is the Thespian Festival. Y'all know what a thespian is, right? It's a person who loves plays and loves being in plays and loves acting and so forth. The Thespian Festival was downtown this week. And I walked downtown, and I saw a lot of people that it is blatantly obvious. They do not agree with my ideas, my beliefs about religion and so forth. Especially the one that had the giant cross hanging upside down on his neck. It's blatantly obvious that we do not agree But does that mean that because we don't agree that they're not human? That they're not made in the image of God? Absolutely not. Genesis 1 and verse 26. I'm way behind on my stuff. Here, let's see here. There we go. Genesis 1, 26. God says, let us make man in our image, the image of God. He created them. Now that doesn't mean physical. We know that. We understand that. It doesn't mean physical. He He didn't create us to look like him because he doesn't look like anything. Any kind, of, any kind of anthropomorphic ideas you have about God is just because that's the only way that we think. If we think about a, a knowledgeable being, we think about another person. And so that's why we, we say things like the mind of God, the face of God, the hands of God, the, the right side of God, those sorts of things. He created us in His image in that we are not just a body. We're a soul. If we're going to respect people, we have to see them like God sees them. If we're going to, have to, if we're going to teach people, we have to see them like God sees them, lost in the eyes of God and in need of salvation. If we're going to respect people when it comes to disagreeing, we have to see them the same way that they see us or they should see us, and that is we may not have everything correct, but we're still in this together, and it's our job to work it out. These men used to debate. They, Brother Woods used to sit on stages, stand on stages, with people that drastically disagree with him. Not just like Brother Nichols. I mean like really disagree with him. About the nature of the church. About the importance of baptism. These sorts of big topics that, that are important when it comes to Scripture. And he used to debate with them. You know why we can't debate anymore? Because we just don't see each other in the image of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, or sorry, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 14. The body does not consist of one member, 
but of many. The church is made up of people with differences and differences of opinions and so forth. Every time we look at another person, we need to see them with the potential that they have. Not just potential for, you know, careers and so forth. But see them as the potential in the church. See, see, look at them and say, man, I have some friends that I, I one of the reasons why I'm partaking in the Fishers of Men course, uh, the homework this week has where you, you write down 10 people. Well, you write down 50 people, and then if you want bonus credit, you write down 10 more people. I've already filled out my list. I filled my list out when we were sitting in class last week because I know their potential. That doesn't mean I'm something special. I had been thinking about this when I was sitting there writing that. We have to see people with their potential. We have to see them when it comes to salvation as well. Now, here's the problem. There's one problem with respecting other people, and that is it's very easy to start respecting people differently. Right? You start seeing their potential, and then you start seeing, well, that person is a, you know, his potential in the church is so great. That person doesn't have as much potential, so I need to focus on this person more than this person. That's the danger of respect. That's, that's the problem with respecting people, is that given our tendencies, it's really easy for us to start thinking that one person is more important than the other. Well, that person, that person does all this good, and this person doesn't do any good God. We do it in the church, too. We do it in the church, too. In fact, those, those men, those three men on the screen, I guarantee you there were some people who followed them to the point that now you're either a, a Brother Nichols believer or a Brother Woods believer when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's not the good in respecting people. That's the horrible nature of respecting people. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 33, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let his wife see that she respects her husband. There's nothing wrong with paying homage, or homage, however you want to say that word, to people that deserve it. The Bible says, husbands, you're supposed to love your wives. Wives, you're supposed to respect your husband. Even, even in outside of the marriage, we're supposed to give honor to whom honor is due. It means if someone does something good, we're supposed to see that. We're supposed to, to pay attention to that. We're supposed to point it out and so forth. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is when you start respecting people because they're doing more good than others. Because then it's very easy to start thinking or st- stop thinking about the other person altogether and just focus on the one person. It's very easy to, to come into a worship service and only pay attention to the people that you see up here. Right? And so when service is over and you see them, you recognize them, you want to go shake their hand, you, you know them very well, and the person that doesn't partake in anything up here or doesn't teach a Bible class or something like that, it's very easy for them to just leave and no one ever pays attention. It's very easy to see people in your daily lives, at work and so forth, and you have your own little friends and you respect them and you don't respect anyone else. You don't, you don't pay attention to anyone else. It's not because you're being hateful. It's just because you don't notice 
You, don't, you aren't reminded. You, you don't pay attention to the things going on around you. So that's the problem with respecting people. And of course, James chapter 2 has a lot to say to that. If, if a person comes into your worship service dressed in a way that doesn't fit the rest of the people, you should still pay attention to them. If you, if you have a rich person that comes to seat. Now, we don't have that problem anymore today because our seats are all the same. Except for some reason, no one wants to sit on these three pews. One, two, three. I just don't know what it is. I've joked around. I've told you all this. One day, y'all are going to come in here, and the last ten pews are going to be blocked off until y'all fill these pews up, and then I'll let you sit back there. And someone said, well, if you just put a... Watch me. Anyways, anyways, anyways. We don't have the problem of, of fancy seating, but they did back then. And James makes it a very huge point of the first book written in the New Testament. The most practical book written in the New Testament. Logical statements and beliefs and and teachings. James, the first book written in the New Testament, only about 15 years after the founding of the church and the death of Jesus, the first book written in the New Testament has an entire chapter spent on don't respect other people differently. Respect everyone the same. Treat everyone the same. Because you can't live the Christian life. You, you, it's, it's interesting to me, if you just look at the timeline of the writing of the New Testament books, you have the most practical book written first. Some of the more theological books are written toward the end of the first century. Why? Because what they needed first was how to live like a Christian. And then we can get the deep theological things later on. But what do we focus on as Christians most? The deep theological things, right? And we forget about the practical things. James 2 is the practical passage that essentially says you treat everyone the same. All right, let's move on. How to show respect. How how do you show this respect? Number one, give credit to who? Give credit to someone who does good. Romans 13, verse number 7. Look, I'm caught up with my slides and everything. Pay to all what is owed to him, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. First Thessalonians 5 and verse 12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord, admonish them and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So number one, give credit to who deserves, the people who deserve credit understanding that just because they deserve credit does not make them more worthy or worth more than other people. It just means that they, they've done something good. You give them credit and honor and, and the, the respect that's due to them. And you understand that other people have the same potential. They just might not have seen their potential. They may not have paid attention to their potential. They may not even have any clue that they have potential. Number two, realize that they're just as important as you or anyone else. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Count others more significant than yourselves. In another place in the New Testament, Paul says, 
outdo one another in showing love. We always want to outdo one another in, you know. I, I don't think it's a problem in the church, but I think it may be it may be a personal thing. But some Christians think that they're more important because they give more than other people. Some preachers may think that they're more important because they speak on lectureships and gospel meetings and, and so forth more than other preachers. Some people may think that they're more important than other Christians because they evangelize more, they've had more Bible studies than someone else, or they've baptized more people. Listen, uh, those are all wonderful, amazing, important things. But I promise you, I can name people who have baptized more than just about anyone else on this earth. I can name people who have preached more places than just about anyone else on this earth. There's always someone that does more. And the Bible says that we should outdo one another in paying honor and love. And then number three, never use money, looks, race, or any other thing to determine someone's worth. That's a given, but it's something that we need to be reminded of sometimes. Galatians 3 and verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. In fact, look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. There's neither Jew nor Greek. It's the same passage, essentially. But circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. Goes back to the same thing we talked about before. If we're going to respect people, if we're going to treat people the way they deserve to be treated, we're going to treat people as if they're created in the image of God. And we're going to treat Christians as if not only are they created in the image of God, but Christ is living in them. The Holy Spirit is living in them through the Word. And I just told you which one in the first slide I agree with. We have to treat people as people. We have to treat Christians as Christians. Now, like I said, this is not because it's a problem or anything else. It's just a reminder. Sometimes it's the preacher's job to remind us of things. More than it is to teach some theological statement. More than it is to, to rebuke some sin or, or something like that. Those are needed. And those are things that we have to do. And sadly, um, there are things that preachers don't want to talk about that we have to. But sometimes it's just good to remember things. I'm going to leave you with this. Um, a few months after Albert Einstein had accepted the, the role as a professor at Princeton University, um, you know, Albert Einstein's one of the smartest people that has ever lived on the planet, right? I mean, it's like Jesus, Nick Saban, Albert Einstein, like in that order, right? Anyways, um, Albert Einstein's one of the smartest men that's ever lived, but if I, I never met him, but I've heard that he was not the most um, sociable type of person, right? A few months after he had arrived at Princeton as a professor, his secretary got a call and said, is Professor Einstein there? And um, the secretary said no, and he said, well, can you tell me uh, where his office is? So I w- I'll just swing by and and meet up with him sometime. And the secretary said, I'm sorry, I can't just tell you where Mr. Einstein's or Dr. Einstein's professor, I don't know what he went by. 
I can't just tell you where he is or where his office is. And then the voice on the other end of the line said, Professor Einstein, I have forgotten my address. Can you please tell me how to get home? Sometimes it's good to just remember things. Sometimes it takes a little remembering, a little reminding. And so hopefully we can, we can take what the Bible says about individuals and treat people the way they deserve to be treated. It's going to change from this outrage, cancel culture that we have where if you say something 40 years ago and people find out about it now, your whole life can end. If the world's going to change and we're going to give people a way of redemption, we have to treat people with respect. And the only way they're going to... We can't expect non-Christians to live like Christians. I think we have, we've tried, and it just doesn't work. We have to show them how to live. So we have to be the type of person that that can bring about that change just by our actions. And sometimes we need to be reminded as well because, sadly, Christianity as a whole has become the one that, or one of the avenues that just doesn't respect people. If you want to become a Christian this morning, we're going to invite you to do that this morning. Uh, But you have to meet God where God has required you to meet Him. And so if you'd like to be baptized this morning for the remission of your sins, uh, then we will gladly, gladly assist you in that. If you need to repent of sins publicly or or have any other need, then we're going to stand and Gary's going to lead us in a song of encouragement.